What do Texas hockey, what the viz, and recording the same podcast more than once all have in common? My conversation with Jared Flores. Buckle up. This is Data Plus Love. Okay, so this is actually my third attempt at this podcast. First time this podcast didn't work because my AT&T fiber router was failing when we tried to record it yesterday. Second time started 37 minutes ago and didn't work because I didn't hit record 37 minutes ago. So it's me and Jared here, as I've already introed in the new intros that we're doing before the music. How are you tonight, Jared? I'm doing fantastic. I'm having a fun time. Yeah, we're actually really loose now. So at this point, like anything could could happen in this podcast. But for the most part, it's been a really great uh, exploration. The The previous podcast that we didn't just record was awesome. So you guys are missing out <laughs> on a great lost episode. But um, I, I've been wanting to talk with Jared for a while. So now I can actually pretend I, I knew things about Jared that I didn't know before I talked about him already. So it's almost like I have telepathic powers. But um, Jared is, while he is newer to the Tableau community, is not new to data analysis, which is evident when you look at his awesome public portfolio. So Jared's got 24 public visits, and he's one of these people that I've been talking about uh, for a while, like Stephen Shoemaker or J.R. Capreros or Judith Becker, um, who sort of, when you first see their portfolio from the very first viz, you're like, wow, this is really fully formed. Like you're looking at it and it doesn't feel like they're working out uh, out the errors. Like if you look at my earlier stuff, you see a lot of formatting wonkiness. You see a lot of, you know, you probably shouldn't have used that chart or that thing is way too close to the edge. But um, Jared came in so fully formed that from his very first visits, which are, you know, very dashboard like uh, to some of his more exotic fare, like you can already tell he knows what he's doing. So um, where did your your sort of passion for data visualization come from? I know you didn't begin your career as a data analyst, but what got you so excited about it? Really, it was, um, and you know, to your point, man, we had such a great conversation. Uh, and we'll touch back on some of that too. But you know, I started my career at IBM in the warehouse, where I was doing a lot of inventory receiving, um, scanning things into Excel. So I learned to automate some of those processes with VBA, uh, built out some inventory op- optimization tools in Access. So I had to learn SQL for that and combine SQL and VBA. And that, you know, I kind of put on my programming hat there and realized, oh, I kind of like this, you know, computer science thing. Um, and then uh, had to start pulling reports out of all of that and all of the, you know, uh, stocking reports and, and things like that. So uh, when, once we started pulling out those reports and I started seeing the power of data, like, oh, we can actually use data to make ourselves more efficient um, and make better decisions, which is kind of the, the whole point around it. I really started falling in love with it. And it was really also being able to physically trace from the processes 
of touching the equipment and scanning it into the system to see how that then interacted with all of our other business processes that really made me fall in love with it because to me uh, data is not just a bunch of numbers or even um, highly aggregated information it's really about understanding how it traces back to the physical process and what we can do to affect that that's a really great sort of journey that you've taken in terms of this in terms of back-end data manipulation um, what is your current preferred method? Are you typically doing SQL manipulations? Are you doing a lot of prep or using Ultrix? Uh, how are you sort of building your data models? It's mostly SQL and prep. And I just started uh, messing around with uh, accessing APIs uh, through prep with some TabPy. And so now I've had to kind of pick up a little bit of Python. Um, and so I think I'm, uh, I was actually messing around with it this week and really getting deep into it. And so I think that's going to be my next venture is really understanding the, the API world and expanding on my Python a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, I used to do all of my prep in SQL. Um, but then once I started using Tableau prep, I started doing most of it there. Um, and it's it's weird because we use Altrix at at my company, but I don't have an Altrix license, uh, so I know that it's capable of really awesome things, but I don't get to see any of that. That that was a big uh, shift for me in my journey. So at my previous job at my old employer, uh, all of our data extracts were custom written SQL. We had no um, published data sources. We had very few views or stored procedures unless you created them yourself through custom SQL. So really the, your option was either you get good at SQL and make data that you can use or kind of starve, like basically become one of the people that has to rely on others to do that for you, which meant the same few people were having to do it over and over. So there were a few of us that were you know, very good at that and could actually create that. And what that actually did for me in terms of my Tableau journey was in many ways, it made me a lot weaker at stuff like LODs and some of the more advanced calcs because I was able to do so much of the data manipulation that I wanted and needed in SQL so that I didn't have to do it in Tableau. Uh, and then at my new job, uh, we use Ultrix quite a bit. So it was a, a shift over to learning Ultrix, which uh, I passed the course cert pretty quickly. So that's one of the nice things about Ultrix, particularly if you've had prior experience with some of these things, it's not that hard to get started. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly there's thousands of things I don't know and more advanced things I can't do, but getting your feet wet and getting started was great. And at my current job, most of our data sources are already in views that are easily joined to one another. So even if you are writing SQL, you don't have to do that much. You're not doing a bunch of crazy pivots and, you know, unioning everything and that sort of thing. So that was a big adjustment for me, but definitely depending on what kind of data you're used to and how you consume it, it can really totally adjust your experience with your data visualization tool. And as you're talking about APIs today, I believe today is the day that Ken Flerlidge uh, put out a tweet saying, uh, don't everyone get used to databases, you're going to have to know APIs. So uh, expect a scramble of blog posts and other data related entries saying, this is how you connect to APIs with whatever you're using. Yeah, and it, it actually came at a perfect time because uh, some of the challenges we've been facing at work have kind of forced us to you know, well, what, what APIs do we got available and, and how do we access those? What information do we really have available there? Um, and then for me, I started looking into it because uh, we use Tableau online. And so there's a lot of functionality that 
that diff- differs between server and online. Like um, we use a SQL server to for most of our pretty much all of our data. That's where our source data is. Um, and so I can't publish a flow, a prep flow to Tableau online and then schedule it because it can't connect to my SQL server. I have to connect to each individual table and desktop and publish those as separate published data sources. And then I can connect to them and automate it. Um, and so I was trying to find a way around it. Like there's some of these things that I really think I could just use APIs um, and I might have some more luck with it. And so, yeah, I've just started playing around with that and also realized, man, I probably should have dug into this a long time ago because this is super useful. Uh, this is going to be like an episode of TV where we keep referencing an episode that you haven't <laughs> saw seen. Um, so th- this is a very exciting uh, episode for everyone involved, especially us, because no one knows what's happening next. Like, wh- how am I going to mess this up now? But um, we were talking about um, your your portfolio and how in it you have some very good blends of sort of your interests. So a lot of times you see a portfolio and it's either very artsy where someone's sort of working out the ideas they can't do at work or it's very sort of bent towards business dashboards and maybe elevating that in a little bit. And you're actually both. You have quite a bit of both of those. So even from your very first entries, like a Makeover Monday and your dynamic measures and dimensions, these are like really uh, elevated business dashboards in the sense that you could you could show this at work, no problem. It's more attractive than you, what you might normally produce, but it's totally functional for that. And then you get some of your more exotic stuff. You've got some of the curvy shit, as we've been calling it. You got circular Sankeys. You've got some Christian Felix homages with sort of the maps with the bendy lines coming off them, and then you've got um, the Eye of the Superstore, which we were talking about this before, which I compared to sort of some of the Native American art I saw in Sedona, where you've got sort of like the uh, iconic eagle drawings with lots of parallel lines and stuff connecting things, and it's a series of charts connected to. Uh, we're calling them dendrograms. I'm calling them like scalp massager charts. Um, where it's the sort of single point that branches out into multiple uh, bar charts, typically uh, rounded bar charts. And then you're using those to further connect to line charts, which then connect to a second layer of dendrograms. So it's sort of, and all these are branching out from a central node, mind you. And we were talking about um, sort of what your influence was on this and your creative process behind something, which just feels so incredibly unique. Yeah, and, you know, it was... It was around the time uh, that the map layers had come out, and I had just really discovered some of uh, Tuan's courses. Um, and actually, I, I think this was the viz that I did that made me cross that barrier and realize, oh, all of that stuff that I thought was impossible, I can totally do. And not because this this viz itself is anything like like some of the the really impressive stuff out there. It was because there was. A one key sentence that Tuan had said in, in his course, and that was everything in Tableau is just uh, plotted on a chart, even if it's a table. Think of it as plot as text on X and Y. And I was like, mind exploded. It all makes sense now. That was that was the wall. And once I got past that, I understood and and could really visualize and understand how to place things wherever I wanted to by understanding that concept. I actually leveraged that last week myself. I did something. I, I'm sort of, I don't know if I'm known for this. That seems 
like a big statement to make. I like to do single charts. Um, so a lot of times I've moved away from showing all the stuff I can do and, and going down to how can I express an idea in as few charts or as little as possible. So uh, with it being the Halloween season, I uh, revisited an old horror movie set I'd cultivated from Rotten Tomatoes with horror franchises because uh, they're fascinating because so many of them tank really quickly after a couple entries. They start to go downhill fast unless you're a leprechaun and then you're bad like immediately and then drop to zero. Like literally there's a, a leprechaun movie that's zero and i don't think it's leprechaun in the hood i, I surprisingly like i think there's one worse than that <laughs> like leprechaun movies are bad um so I, I i use that concept where i'm like well i'd like to do something interesting where rather than just sort of stacking a bunch of things next to each other what if i um basically did a twist on that and i use dime layer diamond shapes for each franchise with you know the size and color indicating the relative score but because everything is plotted like that, all you really have to do is do an XY coordinate for each shape and put it wherever you want it. So you can come up with all sorts of arrangements of anything you would like to put on screen, whether that be, you know, chart elements or what have you. Because while making a data visualization, there's typically a part that's quantitative. I mean, you would assume there is. Uh, but I mean, sometimes it's it, it's all about position, obviously, like maps. You know, sometimes a map is just hey, the piece of data is, where is this in relation to this? But yeah, understanding that what you're really doing is determining where stuff is and how it connects and how it relates and that sort of thing really is like taking the red pill in the matrix and opening your eyes to how the tool works and what the possibilities are of what you could accomplish. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really think that uh, I, I try to teach that as much as possible um, to everyone that I work with that uses Tableau. That's the first thing I tell them now because I, I tell them for me, that was, that was, uh, the thing that I wish I knew a couple years ago, um, because it's really helped me unlock so much more because now it's not a question of, can I do it? It's a question of, is it worth the effort to do it? That is a great question. And that's honestly one of the reasons I, I talk about how I prefer simple charts uh, and how if you were to look at my portfolio, even if it's something that you're like, that looks interesting, it's usually something that pretty much anyone can just do. Like as soon as you realize what the trick is, it's not like an elaborate trick. It's it's I'm not cutting someone in half on stage. These are all card tricks. Like you have the same cards I do. You can do the exact same trick. Now, some some stuff that you see out there like requires additional um, templates behind the scenes or something to accomplish them. Um, when you see some of the more exotic things that people do or a lot of trig to make stuff curve and, and that sort of stuff. And I typically don't go there for one hand because I'm weak on math and two, because I'm lazy and I want to figure out how I can do stuff in as few steps as possible. Um, so let me ask you this. What is your laziest thing in your portfolio that you have out there? Oh, man. Um, I, I want to say... And and this is going to sound so bad, um, but it's actually the uh, the the Fortune 500 women CEOs since 1970. Not because I didn't care about the data; it's just because uh, I was I was trying to uh, highlight the magnitude of of why this this data meant something, and and you know how significant the gap is between the men and women. But the actual execution itself took me like 10 minutes. I'm going to back you up on this. I'm going to back you up. Your approach is brilliant. And let me explain this chart if you haven't seen it. I'm going to share the link here. 
Jared's Jared's looking really flushed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you could have said something else, but no. Um, the the idea behind this chart is simple and brilliant, and it's brilliant because it's simple. So it's a small multiple chart. So the gist of it is there is a big circle, which the big circle is the overall Fortune 500 CEOs for each year, correct? Mm-hmm. And then within that is a far smaller circle. The far smaller circle represents female CEOs in that year. So it while you can go back to 1970 and there is just a large circle and no small circle inside, you can track all the way forward to 2020. And there is a very large circle with still a very small circle. It's a slightly bigger small circle, but it's still an extremely small circle. And that's why it works. Because what you're really trying to do is much like a pie chart with maybe one wedge, and that one wedge can be massive or it can be small, and that says something. But if it's kind of middling, it's not as not as impactful. The reason this works is because the juxtaposition of the very large and the very small. And while you're saying it was lazy, yeah, it was lazy because it didn't require a lot of work. But the idea behind it was perfect. Yeah, and, and I think one thing that's missing from here, which is actually missing from a lot of my portfolio that I've barely started to use, utilize, is the legend. Um context is key and so uh, you know now looking back on this if i were to just stumble across this i don't really know what this is telling me at a glance i've got to spend you know like 30 seconds before i realize oh okay that that makes sense that's what it's saying i i would have done the exact same thing so i would have made this and be like well i get it anyone else that looks at it's clearly going to get it because i get it that's right. probably good <laughs> and and I, especially since if you're coming from a position where you do this for a living, which I don't think there are a whole lot of people doing data, data visualization as a hobby that aren't also doing it at work. But if you're doing it at work, you're always used to data that's uh, in motion. You very rarely do you get a project where it's strictly like, hey, take this thing that's never going to change and will never need updated and make something. Because if, if that's the case, then you're definitely freed up to you know add what I call editorial, like throw text all over it and make comments and point at things and stuff. But as soon as you know that this is going to be something that's updating regularly, it has to speak on its own a lot more. And you might be able to put in some legends and stuff like that, but you're not going to be able to put a paragraph in here saying, hey, look, it's crazy that this dot is still so small. Like, see how there was nothing in 1970? See how there's also nothing in 1995? How crazy is that? I mean, that's the whole gist behind this thing. Like, when you look at it, it's like, and even though with circles, it is hard to compare sizes of circles looking at each other, it doesn't matter in this case because the circle is so small. Like, that's the story. Like, mm-hmm. if the circle looked about half as big, even if it, that were misleading, you know, because they're circles, you'd be like, okay, so it's not like almost nothing, but it is almost nothing. And that's the gist of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm still able to pull out a lot of fire right now, even though we've been talking for the better part of an hour. So, (laughs) oh, man, I owe you. Uh, So if I had to guess about your relationship with sports, not based on prior knowledge or a conversation we had 25 minutes ago, I would say the only sport you like is hockey. That would be an accurate assessment. But genius. I'm quitting now. Okay, so... (laughs) So you have at least two hockey visits, uh, and one of them is your starred featured viz. And this is one we talked about before. We're circling back to go through it again. It's going to be even better this time. 
But the gist of this viz is that you are a big Dallas Stars fan. And I was sort of fascinated by that. Now I'm just recapping things I've said. This is bizarre. This this episode's going to be like one for the books. But um, you are a big hockey fan, despite having lived in Texas your entire life, which is crazy because there's certainly no ice in Texas, except where the Dallas Stars play. Um, but you leveraged a vertical scrolling timeline for this chart, which I think is an excellent application for a long timeline. One of the big dilemmas that we sort of deal with with modern digital devices is despite the monitors that we work on being widescreen, a lot of times when people look at your stuff, it'll be on a phone or even if it's on that widescreen, we're all used to web pages and web pages scroll vertically. Like almost everything is moving in that direction. And also a vertically scrolling screen for a long timeline is perfectly suited for you adding lots of text and graphics next to stuff so that you can easily describe it. Because if you've got that timeline going horizontally and you're trying to put text above and below, you're having lots of arrows that sort of point diagonally or don't quite go where you want. And it's one extra thing to keep track of, but it's a perfect application of the scrolling vertical timeline. And what's even cooler about it is you you don't just have a timeline that extends on the entire page. You've actually got timeline breakout into brackets and then another timeline continuing at the bottom. Um, so tell me a little bit about your thought process behind this and sort of where the idea came from. Yeah. And so, you know, I had mentioned this previously, but I was I was listening to uh, the episode with Sam Parsons and you all were talking about um, making the, the visualizations guide the viewer. And so that's what I wanted to do here. I really wanted to, because, I mean, even when I was growing up here, and I grew up right outside of Dallas, so there wasn't a bunch of hockey fans around me. I felt like I was the only one for most of my life. Um, and so I really wanted people to understand why Mike Madonna was important to me, like why I, I wanted to do this viz, and why he was important to really hockey in Texas. And, and there's really... Uh, only so much so many ways that you can do that and so i thought if i do the timeline because that really highlights his career but then i make it vertical that will force the reader to really go through it and absorb that information and then i give them a little break from the text with the tournament bracket which is also the really the highlight of his career when they won the stanley cup um so just kind of a look at how that tournament pr played out and then get back into um some of his his achievements and um, that kind of takes you all the way down to the interactive dashboard at the bottom where you can see his career stats versus the various other teams in, uh, in the NHL. And so, yeah, I, I really wanted to capture his career in a way that made sense. But then, you know, the, the little icons on the, on the timeline were meant to just kind of easily identify which teams he played on um, at a glance. And then that Stanley Cup logo um, just because that was really the, the big, the big piece of his career. I think it's, it's really neat that you chose, uh, to sort of orient, uh, your tournament bracket with the Stanley cup logo and everything centrally to the vertical scrolling biz. Cause I mean, this is a tall visualization. It's gotta be at least 4,000 mm -hmm. pixels tall. Um, so as you're scrolling down, if you were to print the entire thing off, it would be a nice tall wall piece with your tournament brackets. And you've got, you know, the, he's standing in the center. He's got the Stanley Cup hoisted over his head. It's like a great centerpiece. And all I can think of when I, when you're working on this, I don't think I've ever made a viz about an individual, at least not a real human being. And I have to ask, with with, him, with this being so significant and important to you, uh, 
is it stressful working on something on on someone that's like a hero of yours? Yeah, I went through I don't know how many different source pages and articles that I read. I would come up to an achievement in his life and be like, okay, let me find five other articles that say the exact same thing so that I don't put something that's not true on here. I really, really didn't want to get anything wrong on this. So yeah, it, it was a little bit stressful. And then making sure that I got the right stats, that I was sourcing them from the right place and that they they lined up. And, um, and then for the tournament bracket as well, uh, trying to make sure I had all the right team logos um, and also trying to cross-reference those logos back to the 1998-1999 season was even more difficult. Uh, so I, I put a lot of pressure on myself, but um, I'm, I'm hoping I, I got most of the information right. Let's talk about the difficulty of working on a long-form viz. Let's talk about the design process. Did you know what the end product was going to be like when you started this, or did you start working on elements and it sort of gelled from there. At first, it's I knew the the tournament bracket and the timeline were going to be the main pieces, um, but I didn't know how it was all going to play out because I I really wanted the design to center around the stars and their colors and their logo, uh, but I couldn't really think of a way to do it for the longest time because I the the green for for the team is such a dark green that I, I couldn't really integrate it into the background in any type of way. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe if I round the borders of it, it'll kind of look like a little bit of a hockey rink. Um, and so that kind of helped a little bit, but really the key piece that made everything fall into place was the title. Uh, I took the Dallas stars logo and cut the Dallas word out of it. And so it just says star and then I turned it into that title where it was the greatest star in Dallas. And once I did that, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be so great. I know how everything else is going to flow. I, I can attest um, from I've only actually ever, I think, done two long form visits total. So whenever I see one that's well executed, I mean, first off, when I see that's long form, I, I think my anxiety kicks in a little bit like I do. I do have some anxiety issues on uh, cards on the table but yeah like i'm like oh gosh it's long form not because i'm like i don't want to see this but because i'm like how, like i'm thinking about um making the sausage of the viz um so it's really well done and i appreciate the fact that you went the extra step and have added all sorts of extra design assets to this that aren't native to tableau so like the actual frame of the entire viz is rounded corners and drop shadow which isn't something that you've got natively in Tableau. It'd be great if you could turn on a filter like, hey, make these corners more rounded, add drop shadow to some of the HTML elements, especially since, you know, if you're floating stuff for, for personal projects or that sort of thing, it'd be really great to just throw that on there. Oftentimes we end up having to design those things in Figma or in, um, I use PowerPoint quite a bit for those. It's a very quick and, and easy hack to accomplish those kinds of effects. But it really adds some of that extra design aesthetic and having just installed Windows 11 the other day on my personal laptop, it's like everything is going rounded now. So sort of keeping stuff sort of visually current in terms of that stuff is a great idea. And also the fact that many of the text elements that you have brought in, you've clearly brought in third party because they not are not only non-standard fonts, but also have text weights as well. Um, in terms of long form data storytelling, was this the first that you've done that was extra long or have you, you done that several times in the past? 
I, I've made some bigger ones, but not necessarily because that's what I was aiming for, just because I was trying to find a way to fit everything without scrunching it. But this was the first one where I was like, I'm going to do a long form. I've put it off for long enough. Let me let me see how it goes. I, I, I did one, and it was based on a baby names data set, and that one wasn't too bad, mostly because I was doing a repeated data element down the page. So I knew I'm going to repeat the same thing about six times. Not a big deal. I can space this out. I did an Iron Viz entry last year, however, where I decided, you know what? Iron Viz entries are long form. I'm going to go long form. And that's just really the way things are, kind of. Like, to get into Iron Viz, which I compare to a sprint, you have to run a marathon. And the marathon is your Iron Viz entry, where you have to pull out every bell and whistle. You have to make something that's flashy, that shows off your data skills. It, it, you you got to show off your complete package. So I, I decided to go long form and I realized about halfway through that I put in 35 hours total, which is roughly the amount of time Wolf spent recording this podcast. Um, I realized I haven't spaced any of this out and I'm not sure how all of this is going to connect. I mean, it worked out, but like, man, I, I really did like for someone that likes to show off how I draw stuff in advance and like, oh, yeah, like, look at this thing that I thought of and then I did it. That was not what happened there. And I got darn lucky anything functional came out of it at all. I mean, having you uh, created this and the fact that it works, like you've got your long, you've got your two long timelines that are vertically scrolling. You've got your um, tournament bracket in the middle, as well as you've got stuff at the top sort of laying out uh, total games, goals, that sort of thing. Like it works really well. And I all I can think of is how many times I would have had to have respaced this had I not started with that uh, design uh, in mind. Yeah, I mean, I had to respace it, uh, respace it a few times. Um, but once I sort of got that logo and I figured it out, I designed the background essentially first, and then I put the viz on top of it. That's actually, a. let me tell you, limitations that you place on yourself are one of the best favors you can do for yourself sometimes. Um, I've been doing lots of small, short, data vizs uh in the form that i'm calling the data dump which looks like a zine and to that end i basically created a template and i've got a title at the top i've got a text bar to the left and i've got some space in the right that can accommodate up to three charts and from there whatever i decide to cover that i don't want to have to design a whole idea for like when you're creating something like like uh, your your greatest star in dallas you're having to think of the entire design from the ground up. You're having to think, what colors do I want for the backgrounds? Uh, what shape is it going to be? Um, all of that stuff. But when I when I decide I'm going to cover something quick and dirty and I don't want to really have to make it its own thing, I'm like, okay, well, I know I've got this form. Whatever I do has to fit in the form. So now I realize I can only say so much and I can only show them so many things. So what can I do with this limited space? And really, that's one of the things that it's like at my job as well. We have a sort of design template that we use. And I compare it to bumper lanes because it's not like you're married to this. Like if you make one or two choices that sort of go outside the orthodoxy, you're not getting your wrist slapped. But it's really there to make sure, hey, we want stuff to look kind of standard across the company. We want to make sure you don't do, you know, packed bubbles, as Simon likes to tease me about uh, for any of your charts, uh, that sort of thing. I'll find a way to do pack bubbles someday, or all pie charts. You'll see. Um, but but yeah, it's it's basically there to the constraints. Oftentimes, free you to focus on the analysis, and and that's what you putting that frame around this thing. Okay, 
So this is my canvas now. My canvas is not you know not the universe. My canvas is these four thousand vertical pixels by you know I don't know a thousand wide. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of some of that, you also did an interesting personal fitness journey where you emulated the Apple Watch on screen. Um, what was it like having to work in that limited design space of that sort of rounded vertical of uh, that rounded square? Um, I mean, it was. It was slightly challenging, but also since I was really just recreating some of the things that are already on the watch, kind of worked out nicely because um, I, I wasn't trying to go too far out of it. It was really just meant to be like, this is a view into my watch stats. Uh, the only thing that I really did differently is do the the run club miles and then the the trend line of, of my, my sort of weight. Yeah, but yeah, other than that, um, the biggest challenge of it was figuring out how to get the the ring to overlap if it had gone over the the hundred percent mark and uh kevin flurlage actually helped me out with that piece why am i not surprised that that kevin uh would have handled that i mean between the the, the flurlage twins they are a uh, godsend to the tablet community first that uh ken was already here doing amazing work but then uh that kevin is such a smart aleck that he couldn't stop making fun of ken and Ken's like, let me show you this cool thing I do. And then Kevin turns out to be at least as passionate about it as Ken. And uh, just the two of them, uh, they're at the point now where they've blended into one person. They've merged their two blogs. And we've got this now uh, wonderful Flurlage Twins page. Uh, don't ask about Keith, the third Flurlage. Uh, Keith was killed a few years ago. That was a whole thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, how lucky are we to have them both in terms of their contributions, in terms of their effort, but also as super fans. And I'm not saying that to diminish anyone else. I'm just celebrating the Flurlidges right now. Also, I've been recording this podcast for the better part of an hour. Jared's a saint. Um, so, so as we're getting towards the end of our time for a second time, I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite Viz period? Not necessarily one that you created but maybe one that caught your attention and sort of has been an inspiration to you or maybe opened your eyes to what was possible with data visualization. Man, that one's a hard one. If you oh, want, man. I'll tell you mine and you can, you can think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Rody Zakovich has one, it's a queen, uh, data viz and it's essentially the various queen albums and they're using um they're using bar charts for each one and it's sort of a rainbow spectrum going across and they're using the the dendrogram shape to go down into a point and it's coming out of freddie mercury's microphone and the fact that this thing is probably six or seven years old at this point so it's using much older versions of tableau so it was difficult to do some of these tricks but also it was at a time where transparent backgrounds didn't exist in a lot of things and you know floating data elements were maybe a little trickier. So, I mean, now you look at it and you're like, oh, okay, there's basically three different charts and you stack them up here. It's like, I get what you're doing. Um, but especially at the time, seeing wait, oh, wait, that's a data visualization? Like, if that's the kind of thing you can do? That really opened my eyes to think, um, this this can be anything. You can make a data viz out of anything and anything can be a data viz. Oh, man, for me, I would, I would say... Uh... It would have to be the first one that I ever saw on Tableau Public, and I, I want to say it's Adam McCann's The Beatles Viz. Yeah, um, that was the first one that I ever saw, and I don't even know how I came across it. But one day I came across it, and I was like, "What? This is in Tableau? You can do this there?" And that's where I really started trying to dive in. It was like, "There's, 
there's a lot of room here. I've got so much to learn. Um, but yeah, it has to be that one. That's awesome. I mean, both musical examples, but both by two really passionate data practitioners, both full of color, which, you know, we don't always get to do at work, but it's definitely one of those things where once you see what's possible and then once you've moved beyond that and start to understand how it works, both technically as well as what works on the page, because that's the other lesson, right? You can be totally technically adept and still produce things that are unreadable to people. It's the combination of all of that, that once you start applying that, you start creating exciting things that uh, hopefully excite other people. Yeah, definitely. So Jared, it's been awesome talking to you for uh, more than an hour now. It was great talking to you briefly yesterday while our uh, video cut out over and over again. This has been an exciting getting to know you experience that uh, we will tell war stories about uh, for years to come. I wanted to ask you before we sign off today, is there anything you'd like to shout out or uh, anyone you wanted to, to shout out? Uh, yeah. So as far as things, um, you know, I've got my YouTube channel. Um, my first series of videos has been focused on Tableau prep and it's uh, called put some prep in your step. And so really, uh, I'm not claiming to be a, a Tableau prep expert, but I'm using it and I'm learning it and I'm trying to share what I'm learning and the ways that I'm learning to apply it with other people. So, um, if you're, if you're wanting to learn how to use Tableau prep, definitely check that out. Um, and then for, for shout outs, um, man, I've got to say, uh, Kevin has actually been a big help to me in, in getting involved in the community. Um, he was the first person to ever reach out to me on Twitter. It was when, actually when I posted that, um, that Superstore KPI dashboard, he messaged me and was like, oh, so you've been using Tableau for a while. And I was like, what Zen master talking to me? Am I, am I famous now? Um, <laughs> But yeah, so he was like my first real data fam connection. Um, and he's also been very helpful. I've, I've asked for his feedback on most of my visits. Um, and then uh, Tuan, his, his courses really helped me out. I did a, um, a brain date with him sometime early this year when, when he had offered those up. And he, I got a, a lot of useful information from him that I've carried throughout. Um, and then uh, Luke Stank, his uh, his blogs, it, like everything is so technical. Uh, I really appreciate all of the the blogs and and his contributions to Workout Wednesday, uh, where I've really gotten to flesh out my skills. Um, but uh, you know, bonus shout out to you, man. Uh, you've made a, a an effort to kind of reach out to me, and and we've built up this uh, you know a nice personal bond, and so. Uh, the data fam in general has really improved my life. Um, before that, I, I was really kind of isolated. And so that, that's, that's why I want to give back. It's, it's really changed how I work. It's changed um, my sense of community. Um, and I've already built a lot of friendships through it. I can, I can second that. I can say it's been awesome getting to know you. And I love seeing your work and I love seeing your passion. Um, and I want to say for everyone listening, you know, um, it's when, when you see people saying that these are my friends and stuff there and they're not just saying that like, it's, it's real. Like I have people reach out to me. I, I had uh, a friend mail me some stickers the other day, just out of the blue, just cause they were, you know, cause we're buddies, but um, it's been great talking to you, Jared. If you would like to see more of uh, Jared's uh, uh, Tableau prep stuff, go to what check out his Tableau public portfolio. Um, say hi to him on Twitter, get to know him. He's a great dude. I know that cause I've been talking to him for hours. Um, but it's been a lot of fun talking to you, Jared. And this has been Data Plus Love. 
Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash d-a-t-a-p-l-u-s-l-o-v-e. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks for your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.